Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast, recording in the Vivid Seat Studios. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Adam Green. Adam, two and one, two and one, coming off the second yeah. week of the early season, man. How, how are you feeling about that? Great. Winning is always a lot of fun, and when you look at it, I you realize this is the first time under Kevin Sumlin that the Wildcats have been above 500. Yeah. I've <laughs> been a, at a winning record and it's only two and one. Yeah. But certainly after week zero, I'm not sure any of us felt like they would get to two and one. So being there and having that, we got this kind of like, we talked about the Hawaii game. It's like you win that game, you get to be one and oh for an extra week because of the buy. Yeah. Well, now they got to be two and one with a nice win over Texas tech for an extra week. So, and apparently it was a good thing because some guys got dinged up in that game, but no, if you're a Wildcat fan, you're probably not thinking Rose Bowl right now, but you're certainly feeling better about where they were even just two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to wait. I mean, obviously 3-0 and at this point would be great because then you really get to soak in those wins in each bye week, right? The first and the second bye week. Um, but I mean, honestly, like if, if you kind of have to play it out, I think it would be better to feel good later in the season, right? So like if we had to drop one of these games, it's almost like, yeah, just get that out of the way so that you can start building some momentum, feeling better, start stringing some uh, win streak together, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, am, I am glad though to your point that we definitely um as fans then obviously for the players and the coaching staff as well that they were able to really soak up a bye week and feel good about it rather than you know maybe um, have any repeats after the hawaii game uh, but adam let's let, let's talk about that a little bit more here in a sec before we get too far removed from this, take care of a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, of course, Wildcat Radio Podcasts, uh, subscribe for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, basically all, all podcast catchers. Uh, be sure to also follow the podcast on your social media uh, Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Of course, follow us on Facebook. And actually, an update on our website used to be WildcatRadioAZ.com. We have now merged all of that content to Rob Bowron's uh, beta rank website, which is SharpCollegeFootball.com. And that is also going to be the home of our written content, as mentioned, Rob's uh, beta rank information, as well as any of our contests, you know, the Eliminator Pool, all that good stuff. And, and speaking of the Eliminator Pool, and and the uh, the pick'em contest, all that stuff. Um, we got a nice little treat. Bryant went shopping on eBay and landed ourselves a Rob Gronkowski <laughs> bobblehead. So we, we will nice. Be, yes, yes, we will be raffling that off uh, to to some of our listeners. So more to come on that. I'm going to leave the details up to Bryant and Rob on the 12 pack side of operations. But uh, yeah, keep an ear out for that. I mean, who who doesn't want a Rob Gronkowski bobblehead? I know I definitely do. So uh, I I have one. He just could have asked me. Oh, you don't <laughs> he didn't have to go buy it. I guess I wouldn't. Have. I would, no, I wouldn't have. No, I'm keeping it. It's mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I like walking by my display case and seeing U of A Gronk in there. That's always good. But yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a nice little prize. That, that, those, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. And, of course, we'll be doing some more of that, too, once basketball season gets up and rolling because we're honestly not that far away there either. Um, but, yeah, no, I think uh, oh. yeah, yeah, ex- exciting stuff for sure to come on all that front. So, um, Adam, 
let's um you know let's let's actually save basketball for another day i I know they just had media day and stuff and i think there's probably gonna be some more news coming out uh with baker you know he's trying to get in in case maybe we'll just go down this path a little bit uh for our listeners who don't know um jamal baker jr one of the transfers from kentucky it has has requested an appeal on the transfer in which he would have to sit out the year um they as far as i know and it sounds like sean miller is sounds a little optimistic that uh that, that the ncaa might grant him a immediate eligibility um, would be a nice little boost. Sure. Um, quick thoughts on that. Well, you know, the NCAA is just anxious as hell to help Arizona basketball. So Sean Miller has every reason to be optimistic that this would happen. But honestly, I guess we haven't seen him play for the Wildcats. But the last bit of news we got regarding this year's team was that Brandon Williams was going to miss the entire season, at yeah. least. Mm-hmm. And that's your guard depth right there. That's an important player. And Jamal Baker, I know he's more of a two guard, but I've read that he's been practicing at the point guard and I think he could play point guard and maybe next season. And we discussed that could be a nice thing for them, but certainly for this year's team, if you could bring him into the fold and he's as good as they think he is and can handle some point guard and just add to your guard rotation in the absence of Brandon Williams, this team's ceiling just got that much higher. So I don't expect it to happen because I don't think Arizona basketball is allowed to have nice things that are granted <laughs> to them or given to them by the NCAA. Yeah. But if there's a legitimate reason for him to get it, you'd like to think that, in all honesty, you'd like to think that the NCAA doesn't have a, have a grudge against the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Where if there's a legitimate reason why he should be allowed to play this season and get that waiver and play, and they would give it to him. They wouldn't be like, well, you should be allowed to play, but we don't like Sean Miller, so we're going to keep you out. Like, you'd hope that they're better than that, you'd even hope. if you don't expect them to be. So if it happens... That's nothing but good news for Arizona's depth, which, again, in the backcourt without Brandon Williams, we don't know how good Jamal Baker could be, but they brought him in. He was a Kentucky guy. He's supposed to be pretty good, and by all accounts, he's been one of their better players in practices. So like, I, I don't want to get excited about it because it hasn't happened, but right. if it does happen, if they do get him this season, then they're going to be that much better for it. It's just an additional insurance policy, right? I mean, as far as like Max Hazard's concerned, uh, you know, th- that's a nice little insurance policy. And it's just to bolster that backcourt depth, really. So, I mean, you know, and, and of course, you know, we aren't talking about another incoming freshman. This is a guy who, granted, not, not a large sample size of Kentucky, but he did play at Kentucky. So he at least has some experience at this level. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, so more to come on that. And then, of course, you know, as we get closer to, uh, you know, the, 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 the red and blue game, which actually, as a matter of fact, Friday. Yeah, is that Friday? Friday? This week. That is okay. Yeah. So there yeah, you go. It's this so, week. So so once we get past that, we'll have some updates. What a time for you to be a wildcat. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I hope that. Uh, yeah, and we'll footballs get on a UCLA winning streak, game. opening up Pac-12 play. No, you got football opening up Pac-12 play on a two-game winning streak. You got the red blue game. You got a Gronk bobblehead up for <laughs> for a prize. Like this is a great time to be a wildcat. Yes. Yes. I, I uh, sign me up. Right. This is good <laughs> stuff. So uh, let's go ahead and let's, let's pause on the basketball stuff for now. And of course, like I said, you know, we'll we'll, we'll touch base on the red and blue game uh, next week, and then of course uh, the outcome of the UCLA game. Look forward to the trip up to Boulder. Uh, but for now, Adam, you know, let, let's 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 work our way up to where we. We will be on Saturday. Of course, Texas Tech um, surprised me, not you. You picked them uh, as as far as the overall performance. Not quite like that. surprising. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Very, very surprising. Um, we're not going to recap the game. Go ahead and listen to anybody who didn't have the chance. I sure hope you did, though. On uh, the 12-pack radio side of things, uh, Bryant, Rob, they, they, and, and Max, I mean, they, they did a good job of breaking down the game. Um you know, Adam, I, I kind of want to focus more on, you know, obviously there was a lot, there, there were a lot of positive things to take out of that Texas Tech game, 
What what does the buy mean though? I mean, you touched on as far as you know there was you know Quill Tate was visibly banged up. We know JJ Taylor uh, is banged up, and Kevin Sumlin doesn't normally speak of injuries with his players, um, but he has commented saying you know that JJ Taylor did not practice at all last week. Um, his availability for Saturday is somewhat unknown. Luckily, I mean there's a night. Of course, you know JJ Taylor is 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 the prized possession of that group. Um, injuries and stuff, you know that's obviously important. Talk about that, but then also. Overall, I mean, you know, what, what, what does this bye week do, especially coming after a win like that? Yeah, I guess it goes either one of two ways. Either it gives you a chance to refocus, not get too far ahead of yourself, and continue to work on the little things. The difference between what they did against NAU and what they did against Texas Tech was considerable, especially defensively. So you could say it allows them to do that, or you could argue that the momentum they built over those last couple of wins that they had, going from, I guess, the first half of NAU, where they looked really good on both sides of the ball, and then the entire game against Texas Tech, now there's that pause, and maybe it kind of loses that momentum, and we'll find out on Saturday which way it goes, but I don't see the bye week being a bad thing for them. You know, this is still a team that is trying to figure out who it is. And yeah, it's a nice win over Texas Tech. They weren't perfect. But I think that extra week off, aside from just the health aspect of it and getting guys healthy, and maybe in like uh, Jalen Curry, we might see him this week if he's finally healthy for him. But to me, the bye week isn't a bad thing for the coaching staff. That's another week of working on things because they weren't perfect against Texas Tech. There were certainly some issues, some mistakes there. So you get healthy, you get a little bit more time to work on things. And granted, it's two bye weeks in your first uh, three games. That's a little bit odd. But to me, it's it, it, I'm not going to look at it as a bad. Even if Arizona struggles Saturday against UCLA, I'm not going to blame the bye week because I think it's just that type of thing. It's kind of like that time you have before your bowl game and you kind of get guys healthy and a little bit more practice. You talk about those reps. Like They got reps for guys. This is still a team that has to learn who it is and figure out who it is. So I don't see it being a bad thing in any way. No, I'm I'm with you definitely, and especially because after that NAU game, you know, like our starters, especially I mean, like Khalil Tate. I mean, he played what a third of the game we counted. Um, yeah, and then as yeah. far as defensively, they played the first half or you know whatever it was. Um, so it had been you know up to that Texas Tech game, it had been two weeks since they had played in a enti- in an entire game, right? So uh, and this was a hard fought game, you know, just like Hawaii was, uh, but it, the outcome was you know much more favorable to the Wildcats. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think the extra by week at this point in time great stuff you know heal up great a uh, little extra time too uh for for Khalil Tate to continue building that rapport too I think right like as far as uh with with, with the receiving core so um defensively it would be amazing if they could they can continue that momentum and then you know and you know as we we will touch on with our guest uh by the way we have a special guest to help us preview uh the ucla game on saturday Uh, but as we will touch on with our guest uh just you know what a crazy comeback that was for ucla up in pullman um but yeah no adam i think Mm -hmm. you know overall this is a good spot to be in um what, what kind of things before we welcome on our guests you know what kind of things do you think are most important uh, I, I would say like for, for long term of the season, uh, some, 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 some things specifically that you want to see from this team that would have been built off of from the Texas Tech game. I, I, to me, it starts off with Khalil Tate and his running. He had 129 yards and a touchdown, the long 84-yard touchdown against Texas Tech. And that kind of goes back into the bye week, too, where we saw last season he hurts his ankle in week two, and it wasn't until he took that week off against UCLA where he was back to being himself following that game. Well, Tate, I don't know what his injury was. I don't know if they released that information from Texas Tech. It looked like a leg injury, though, yeah. and maybe he would have played this like last week. Maybe he wouldn't have missed any time. But we saw last season what a Khalil Tate 
without his running ability, or at least hesitant to run, what that looks like. It's not terrible, but it's not the dynamic athlete that they need. So to me, what he had that game against Texas Tech, and he's not the same guy he was two years ago when it comes to running. He runs less, especially unless it's a design run, and the long touchdown was a clearly designed, well-designed running play, well-called and well-executed. But just once you do that, it opens up everything else for the offense, and it makes it so much more difficult for the defense to handle what Arizona's bringing. So to me, that's the most repeatable thing for long-term, is that if Tate is healthy, he can do that. And he has to do it once or twice in a game and show that. Even against Texas Tech, he did scramble more for positive yards on plays, keeping some drives going. So that, I don't... That defense performance was terrific. It was better than anyone would have ever anticipated from Arizona circa, I guess, back to the Stoops era. But offensively, I think it's repeatable that the running game can do what it did, and that hinges largely on Khalil Tate doing what he did. Yeah, I think uh, just just to piggyback off that too is is the line play, right? You know, there there were some pieces that turned over from last year, uh, but as far, I mean, overall as a group, I mean, they they look just as good as they did last year, right? I mean, I think overall, um, you know, last year, of course, I think it was it three years running that we have a chance to lead the Pac-12 in 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 uh, in, in rushing yards, right? Uh, the, the rushing champs mm-hmm. of the conference, uh, and you know, last year really, you know, I. Overall, yes, there are new faces in some places. Overall, it's it's the same core group. But I, I mean, it's it's just amazing to see how they can just keep things rolling like this. You know, like it's. Uh, I think that this is a testament, really, and you see it a little bit on the defensive line as well. I think this is a testament to Kevin Sumlin understanding building from the inside out. Right, like you always hear in the, in the NFL level, and that's why the Colts have been so good and such a quick turnaround for them coming off of 2017 where they were just horrendous and then you know last year 2018 uh, of course Andy Luck's final year you know they uh Ryan yeah, he Griggs, came back that helped them that helped a lot but Ryan Grigson I, I think uh, the, the GM I'm probably mm-hmm. completely messing up his name but he understood you know building from the inside out and that is one big piece too and why Utah has been so successful over the years right that's always a big big advantage to USC right because they're always so stacked inside so I think it's it's, it's encouraging and I don't think it's any coincidence uh defensively too that you know you mentioned you know, going back to the stoop days of just having, you know, what, when was the last time we had like a really decent defense that we could lean on, right? Like not spotty performances, kind of like what you saw with Rich Rod, you know, in like 2014, right? Overall, that was a good defense. But in terms of the size, like that girth up front, um, it's, it's really encouraging, yeah. right? So um, I guess I'm, I'm completely rambling here and wandering off, wandering off topic, but uh, I'm excited. Yes, I agree with the running game. And I specifically, uh, I want to see if the, uh, if the O-line can kind of keep things running right now right because i think overall you got to have the running game going but then also too i mean there's going to have to be the pass protection involved too where khalil tate doesn't feel like he's gonna the play's breaking down he's got to scramble he's gonna have to buy some time uh with the passing game too so um yeah no i i think on the offensive side that's great yeah and if i would have told you before the game that khalil tate was going to complete 14 of 23 passes for 185 yards with two interceptions and a fumble and a touchdown, right? You would think like that was Khalil Tate wasn't good against Texas Tech, especially yeah. in the first half. He was pretty good in the third quarter, and he had that long run. But if not for that long run, he did not have a particularly great game throwing the ball. And yet Arizona won, I guess, fairly comfortably in the fourth quarter. They gave seven points in the first quarter, seven points in the third quarter, and that was it. So this was that game where normally we'd say, especially for this team and what we've seen, is that they need Khalil Tate to be Superman. They need to run the ball really well. 
because it's going to be a shootout. Well, they ran the ball well. Gary Brightwell, great effort in that game. Bam Smith was really good. J.J. Taylor was fine until he got hurt. But the running game was good. You mentioned the offensive line being able to do that. But they didn't need Khalil Tate to be great. He made one really great play, and he made a, some nice throws. A couple of them. He had the deep ball uh, to Peterson. That was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a great offensive game. It wasn't a flashy offensive game. But, but they didn't need it to win because the defense was so solid all throughout. Their tackling was terrific. Got a couple of timely turnovers that the offense really wasted. But still, the defense did its job better than anyone could have anticipated. And I don't know if that's a long-term thing. Texas Tech, you'd think, has a pretty good offense, and Arizona had the answer for them. But just this was that weird game where I don't know if Arizona can dial up this recipe again and expect to win, but it was nice to see because they did impose their will all throughout this game. Defensively, they tackled well. They did a ton of pressure, but they did a good job. They were covering receivers. They weren't giving up a lot of big plays. And offensively, especially in the fourth quarter, we saw in the, that time that sealed it, the 99-yard drive when they all did was run the ball. Yeah. Like That was such a beautiful thing to watch because that's an Arizona Wildcats football team who, under Richard, they ran the ball well in games, but and especially, I guess, that ASU game a couple years ago they didn't throw in the second half. But to see that happen in a big game, in a big moment where the other team knows you're running the ball and you do it anyway to the what to the effect that Arizona did that was nice to see whether it's repeatable or not it showed I think the vision that Kevin Sumlin has for this team like you mentioned stocking up on the bigger players the bigger lines offensive and defensive when it works that's what it looks like it looks like a solid defense and an offense that just wears on you maybe you're not picking up six yards of run in the first or second quarter but by the third and especially the fourth you see what happened that the defense just can't do the bad because they're exhausted and the offensive line just has a field day. So it, it wasn't the most flashy win we've seen from Arizona. Maybe not even the most, I don't know, impressive isn't the word because there were lots of things to be impressed in this game. But the things that we thought they needed to do in order to win, they didn't quite do. They didn't win the turnover battle. And Khalil Tate wasn't a dynamic player. He did not have a great game. And yet Arizona won by two touchdowns. That was a def- I mean, 100%. I mean, the defense, right, that we have been banging on, you know, really going back to last year and then obviously through the Hawaii game. And honestly, we even talked a little bit about them in the NAU game. Uh, this, you know, I, I, impressive might be the right word, but in a different context, right? Like impressive, like, you, you know, you didn't dominate the game, but you dominated certain phases of the game, which I think kind of sets you up for that momentum to keep rolling. So, uh, you know, yeah, obviously, exactly. you know, obviously, you know, UCLA, um they have struggled we'll talk about that um and you know what they did up in pullman you know we'll also talk about Unreal. you know we'll talk about how much we should really be concerned about that um actually one quick clarification i completely butchered chris ballard is is the is the colts gm that had built from the inside out ryan Grigson, oh, Grigson was the one before that yeah. Grigson's the one that completely bombed the roster and did a terrible <laughs> job so yeah not ryan Grigson, like chris ballard so yeah be more like that kevin Sumlin. but um adam so yeah let, let's go. go ahead yeah let, let's go ahead and switch gears here and welcome on our guests um and, and get a preview for ucla but before we do let's hear from a couple of our sponsors all right, Adam. So to help us break down Saturday's matchup with UCLA, we have Jake Merrifield on the line. Uh, Jake is the host of the What's Brewing podcast. Jake, how you doing, man? Hey, man, I, I'm great. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. 
Of course, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's just hop right into this. I mean, I, I think, you know, Adam and I talked about this a little bit before, before you joined us here, but, you know, I didn't watch the game. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think, you know, we probably want, you know, somebody who's a little bit more, uh, I guess, up to speed with the personnel, I guess, if you will. Uh, up in Pullman over the weekend, Jake, what in the world happened? They're down 49-17 at one point. You come back and win 67-63. What was, I mean, what was going on? Well, let me, let me tell you, first of all, it's worth watching a replay of it, just whether you're a fan of either team or not. It was one of the most uh, wild, wacky games I've ever seen. Um, I, it was funny. I was going to go up to Poland to watch this one, and then uh, we kind of at the last minute decided not to, and I ended up watching it uh, You know, uh, from a, you know, I was on a little bit of a weekend trip, and it was just, it was a blast. Uh, but um, it's it's one of those ones where, you know, you couldn't be more negative about the outcome if you're the fan of the team uh, while you're watching it. You couldn't be more negative, and then you could be more positive at the end. Uh, and it's just one of those things where it, it was just, you know, a complete 180, maybe a Jason Kidd 360, you know, it was like one of those just nuts games. Uh, and um, for everything that went right for the Cougs at the beginning, uh, everything went went completely sour for them at the end. And then uh, you flip that same nar- narrative for the Bruins. Uh, bad at the beginning and then unbelievably good, like white laser hot at the end. Yeah, watching that game, I, I ended up tuning into the third quarter when people are like, okay, this game's getting a little wacky. And I'm wondering, because you said, it's kind of one of those games where, depending on which side you're on, it's the greatest thing for a while, and it's the worst thing in a while, and then now everybody's looking at UCLA and saying, who is this team? Because one hand, they made this great comeback and knocked off Washington State in Pullman, which is hard to do. On the other hand, it took, what, six turnovers and some big plays in the return game to make it happen. So where's the level of confidence that UCLA has maybe turned a corner, or is it just kind of one of those, like, that game happened, and it probably doesn't portend to things to come? Well, you know, when you look at um, how a lot of the fans were reacting to it, and really anybody that was following the Bruins this year was just looking for any sort of positive at all because just those first three games were just so, so, so soul-crushingly depressing. Uh, you know, you come out, you know, averaging 14 points a game right. uh, over three games is just brutal, and then the defense just got progressively worse and worse. You know, I, I kind of think the defense was a little better in the first couple games than it was against Oklahoma, which is to be expected, but they were on the field for like, you know, 40 minutes a game. And so, you know, you could, you could look at it if you squint it a little bit you might be able to make excuses for them but the bottom line was they're just playing like garbage and um coming into the game too you know once the game actually started it actually had a, a little bit of a positive to it because you know the 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 final score or the, the score at the first quarter was 10-7 and the Bruins had stopped the Cougs on two out of three drives and they had scored on two two of the three drives but then even when you thought about it it's like this really isn't that great because you know the, the, the defense did make a couple stops but you can't imagine that last whole game which it didn't and then the offense was kind of they kind of got a little bit lucky with a couple of their things. Uh, and so you're like, this is probably is not going to hold. And then of course, sure enough, the second quarter starts and uh, Gordon just goes, starts going on a roll and he throws, I think, you know, something like, you know, of course, 28 points in that quarter. Uh, by the time it's done, it's just, you know, they're, they're already, you know, starting to throw up the Heisman odds and stuff. Um, and it was just, it was, just, you know, but it was just one of those weird games. Cause I don't know uh, if you did watch it, the very last play of the first half, um, the UCLA takes like 30 seconds, drives all the way down the field from like, you know, from, from inside their 20 all the way to the goal line. It gets tackled on the goal line off of like a kind of a Hail mary pass from uh, Dorian thompson Robinson. And so that was just one of tackled at the goal line. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. We can have, <laughs> of course. But, you know, it's just one of those weird things. It's like, 
you know, you, you look and you just kind of roll your eyes like, okay, it's going to be like this. And then the second quarter, the, the second half starts, they drop another 14 points. And at that point, you, like I said, it's just celebration time. And it, it, it's funny because it reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember the Texas A&M UCLA game from a couple years ago. I'm sure yeah. people brought that up. But I mean, you had that one guy doing the pimp stroll with a cane on the, on the sideline during that game. And it was kind of a similar thing with the Cougars uh, in, in this game. And then from that point forward, it just, just, just completely spun on a dime. And it, it, it was insane. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll see anything like that again. I mean, to be down 49-17 in the second half, I mean, really, I mean, it doesn't even matter what Halfway point in the through, game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, you, you're you're down, uh, yeah, excuse me, a yeah, third quarter, 49-17. I mean, that, that's just crazy. Um, but I guess, okay, so moving on, right, obviously UCLA uh, walked away, walked out of there with the win. They start conference play 1-0, and obviously how you want to start conference play, right? Especially after the brutal non-conference you mentioned there, Jake. Um, Looking forward now to Saturday, right? I mean, this is probably going to build up some momentum, uh, but but I think the biggest question, and and I know for myself too, the biggest question that I have is, you know, how how fluky was what happened on Saturday and how much is legitimate momentum that can be rolled into Tucson in that matchup? You know, it's funny. I mean, I I think really your guess is as good as mine when you really look at it because, you know, coming into the year, um, you know, the one thing about UCLA, I know, I know, uh, I think you guys, uh, beta rank had them like five or six wins, I think. Is that correct? Something like that. Um, but, uh, but if you look at like the predictions across the nation or even here in Los Angeles, you know, some people had them with three wins and some people had them with nine wins. You know, George Reitster, that's uh, another guy doing, you know, uh, one of the Pac-12 guys for Pac-12 network, you know, he had him winning the freaking conference for good or winning the South for goodness sakes. So what I'm saying is, Nobody knew what they expected this damn team from the get-go, and then they come out and lay those colossal eggs. And now, you know, to me, it's it's still like way up in the air as far as you hope they can claim some momentum off of this. And it's funny because it kind of dovetails or parallels into last season when they, you know, here come the Wildcats and they're coming off of uh, of their first win of the season. Uh, the Bruins are, you know, they beat Cal last year. This year, they they have this improbable win against Washington State. And it's just like you really don't know what to expect. Um, personally, I think that. Uh, I think that they 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 weren't nearly as bad as what they showed the first three games, and obviously mm-hmm. they're not nearly as good as what they showed in the second half against Washington State. And so I expect them to come out and be um, uh, much more competitive uh, versus the Wildcats and to play a lot better than they did in the first three games. But um, I don't think they can possibly sustain what they had going. I mean, you know, obviously, sure. I mean they were they were they were dropping you know touchdown 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 and run over punt returns and kickoff returns and all that stuff. But um, I, they they definitely come down to earth. But I'm I'm hoping that you know, just uh, for my perspective as a fan i'm hoping they can just keep you know the, the keep a uh, keep competitive through these games and give themselves a chance and not just you know just not just go into a shell and get nothing done on offense and just be absolutely just just brutal and i know as an arizona fan i guess it's kind of like how did we want to see you say coming in as a winless team looking for the yeah, first right? win desperate or now that's maybe coming off that huge win win made a little bit confident i don't know what the answer is i guess you know whichever happens on saturday if arizona wins then this was the right way and if arizona loses and it was the wrong way but where do you think the mindset is for UCLA? Because it's hard to imagine them being overconfident after that game, and especially the way that game went. Because it wasn't like they dominated Washington State, but at the same time, they beat Washington State in a place where Washington State doesn't often lose. So if there's a reason to have some confidence, it seems like they would have that, but hard to imagine there's any overconfidence. Is that right? 
No, I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, and, and they're, they're, they, they couldn't possibly be overcompetent. I mean, this is the first time they've, they beat a ranked team in a, in a couple of years, I want to say. Um, and just, it, it was just one of those things. I think more of what it was, uh, it was a cathartic moment for them. Right. And so now when they come in, it's kind of like maybe they settle back down to normal and then just try to kind of go through and do the kind of the normal things. It's funny when we were looking at how the game kind of played out, um, they didn't really run anything different. You know, they're running the same damn plays and they were doing, trying to, trying to accomplish the same stuff. Um, obviously when you're playing down 49 to 14 or whatever for 17, they, they obviously play a little bit freer cause they got nothing to lose. Um, so you wonder how that resets when they're actually in a, in an even game again. But, um, you, you just feel like, you know, they, like there's, uh, what I would be looking for from the Bruins perspective is, you know, they, they finally got the monkey off their back a little bit and now they can kind of come into this, be relaxed and just kind of let it and, and let it hang. They still have nothing to losing the season right i mean technically uh, you know arizona and, and ucla are at the top of the pac-12 standings arizona having a game in ucla having having uh, uh the one victory but you know nobody expects that the last i certainly not on the bruins yeah, end at this point yourself. yeah right <laughs> uh, from, from, from our end yeah the wildcats are going to win every game win out right uh Khalil tate's going to stand on his head in this game but but um it's it, so i think their mindset is God, just don't let this revert back to where we were. Because honestly, sure. you know, you, you look at Dorian Thompson Robinson and he couldn't have opened the season in a worse way, right? He comes out and he pretty much single-handedly scuttles that game against Cincinnati. I mean, weren't you there? Uh, uh, Rob was. Yeah, Rob, Rob, was Rob Ballin was, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, yeah, Rob was there. Um, Rob was there. He saw in, in, in depth what they looked like. But, but Dorian Thompson Robinson kind of, you know, uh, as you know, he pretty much lost that game on his own with the fumbles and then he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with the ball and it, all that negative momentum just kind of carried in the next couple of games and everybody else kind of played progressively worse as he got a little bit better each game, but it just didn't add up to anything. And then this game, like I said, kind of like a catharsis and you're just hoping they can kind of carry that into the next game. Makes sense to me. Uh, all right. So Jake, let, let, let's pivot a little bit more into personnel, the type of matchups we should see. Let's go ahead and start first with the offense. You know, you mentioned Dorian Thompson Robinson, right? One of, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly if he was the top ranked dual threat quarterback coming out of high school two years ago. Um, but I mean, he was certainly up there You know, everybody's thinking this is just a magnificent pairing between him and Chip Kelly with Chip Kelly, what we've seen in the past, uh, you know, last year, obviously well-documented struggled. That wasn't the, uh, the best showing, but still he had flashes as a true freshman going into this year. You mentioned he struggled a little bit early on uh, this game, obviously just took off you know, a whole nother level uh, for Dorian Thompson Robinson in this. Um, you know, what, what have you seen? I, I guess really what, what, what should the fans expect from DTR on Saturday night? You know, I think that he, um, you know, when he's playing his peak level, I think we just saw that, you know, last last weekend. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect to see that, you know, all the way through. Obviously, you can't sustain that. But mm-hmm. um, when he's playing at his peak level, he is playing without thinking too hard about it. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that struck me the first couple uh, games this year, especially after they, you know, and just going back to that Cincinnati game, they had this really kind of cool first drive where guys are running all over the place and they're doing all these weird shifts and stuff. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and they drive all the way down the field and then he has an unforced error where he, where he just throws the ball off of his calf or I mean off of his uh, thigh. It just bounces off of there and, and causes a turnover. And it doesn't seem like he had been right uh, from that point forward, right? And it just seemed like uh, when he would drop back, you could see steam coming out of his ears because just, you know, thinking too hard, thinking too hard and just letting everything take too long to develop. And when he wanted to run, it'd be a bad decision. When he didn't want to run, it'd be a bad decision. So um, with, with him, uh, I think that that, 
that failure in the first game really set him back. And now I think he's back at a point where he's maybe playing a little bit freer. Um, last season was a weird up and out season. You know, they, they played Wilton Spate for half the year. They played DTR for half the year. Yeah. And they, it was kind of, you know, the, the, the game against Arizona was one of those ones where DTR starts, gets banged up. Will uh, Spate comes in and finishes it off. And that interaction had taken place back and forth through three or four games last year. And so just when it seemed like one of those two were starting to get it going and DTR did have a couple of games where he was playing pretty darn well, uh, sure. you know, similar to what you saw against Washington state and uh, not that good, but, but similar. And then, you know, he got hurt and then he just, we just didn't see it again, uh, until, you know, in, in, until against Washington state, uh, last Saturday. So he, uh, I think when he's at his best, he's not thinking too hard. He's running around, you know, taking advantage of, of his legs when he kind of gets flushed out of the pocket a little bit. And he is not trying to throw balls directly through people. He's, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, let it, you know, yeah, he's he's given a little more touch to it, and um, and and he's and he's not trying too hard. I think that that's a good way to to characterize it. It's funny you kind of describe him that way because Arizona has a quarterback who I'm sure a lot of yeah, people right? would say similar things about. And tell me I'm wrong here when I say the key to stopping UCLA is holding Joshua Kelly in that running game in check. Tell me. I'm oh, wrong. there's no. No, there, there's no doubt about it. Okay. And the thing is, is that that hasn't really gotten going this year so far. You know, the the Bruins um, had a had some shakeup with their offensive line from last year, which was actually playing very, very good. That was the best part of their team last year at the end of the season. Um, and then uh, coming into the season, they lost a, a guy to the NFL. They lost a guy to, uh, to a transfer. And then they, they had a wretched freshman and a true freshman uh, starting on the left side of the line uh, through most of this or through this year so far. And they've, they've rotated a couple of guys in. But um uh, Sean Ryan and Alec Anderson are the guys I'm talking about, and they just have not and have not been able to get the running and going to the you know to to the standard it was last year. And part of that is because of the line. Part of that's because Josh Kelly was dinged up coming in the season, and then um, and then they had they had this just bizarro weird running back rotation to start the year where it's funny guys. I don't know uh, how much you saw in the, in the previews and things uh, for the Bruins, but when, coming into the season, we were hearing about six or seven different guys that we thought were going to contribute. None of which we've seen the field yet uh, other than Josh Kelly. And instead it's been a steady mix of Josh Kelly and Demetri Felton. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. It was just an unexpected thing, but um, Kelly really didn't get going this year until against Washington state. And the thing that I was really excited to see as a Bruin fan was uh, you saw in the first half against Washington state, he was making some good cuts, getting through on, on doing, doing the zone reads and things pretty well, but he was still kind of getting tackled a little bit. Wasn't quite running with the power. And then towards the end of the game, uh, he hurdled a guy uh, and he was really running with a lot more force. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can build on that um, because that, if they can, if they can run the ball successfully, that's going to take a hell of a lot of pressure off of, uh, Robinson and and that makes everything so much easier for the Bruins so if they're running the ball well um, then I think Arizona's in for a shootout if they can't get that going then I, I don't know how realistic it is it is to expect um, DTR to replicate what he did last week makes sense to me and obviously Josh Kelly you know you mentioned his slow start did not play the Cincinnati game so he's kind of still figuring things out but he definitely Put up some pretty good numbers, I would say, against uh, against Washington State. Uh, but but you know, an, another skill position player here that has stood out to me all season, and you mentioned him, Demetric Felton. I mean, how valuable is he to this offense? I, I don't even think they know yet because really, this last game was the first game where he showed truly what he was capable of. You know, going all the way back to um, Jim Moore's last year, uh, he was kind of a guy where he was almost positionless. You know, they didn't really that and and. 
in that regard, it was in a bad way. And now he's kind of positionless, kind of in a good way where you can kind of throw him anywhere and he can make any sort of plays you want. It's kind of like the old, uh, who was the Steeler back way back? That was the slash. Um, Thank you very much, Cordell Stewart. It's kind of like he's kind of got that kind of thing going for him. I don't know if he's going to throw any balls, but um, if you get you know line him up outside, you you and he's he's a running running inside zone and things for him uh, this year. Uh, he's he, he kicker turns, punt returns. Uh, he he can do it all, and he's just just so explosive. And we saw that you know just watch the highlights from the Washington State game and those two long uh, plays he had were just unbelievable to me. Um, that what he reminded me of watching that game was um, when you know when uh, the Bruins had Maurice Jones Drew way back in 2004, mm-hmm. and just it seemed like there were plays where he'd get the ball and then just like whoop there he goes he's and he's he's in the end zone and uh, <laughs> Felton has that potential and I think that um, especially now that he's splashed as as he is uh, I, I really think that this is one of those guys that's uh, that the team kind of rallies behind as well and they they look for ways to get him more involved and to, to bust him open because he can do it. Flipping to the other side of the field. You see how he's deep. Please, do we have to? Do we have to? Hey, you know what? Arizona gave up 59 <laughs> at Washington State last season. So I think, you know, yeah. no one's going to hold that against UCLA. But at the same time, the numbers pretty much all across the board for UCLA's defense are ugly. Now, Arizona could say the same thing until the Texas Tech game the last time we saw them. But UCLA's defense, what I know, <laughs> I hate to bring this up to you apparently, but what are we looking at here? Now, you know, with the defense, it's funny too, because that's another thing where I think of when you actually like watch the games and look at what was going on, there were, you know, at least after the first game, there were some things to be optimistic about because for the last, you know, it seems like the last, you know, four or five years, um, UCLA has been so bad against the run specifically just getting gashed right up the middle uh, that, you know, they come up and come out against Cincinnati and they actually were very stout. They have a, they have a couple of really big uh, defensive tackles and uh, nose guards. Uh, the biggest of them being uh, Antonio Maffi. He's, you know, he, he slimmed down this year from a, uh, from over 400 pounds down to uh, spelt uh, 360. Uh, and, you know, and, and they've got him and, and another guy that, that's, bit, that's roughly the same size, but they did a wonderful job of just plugging the interior and not allowing too much up the middle. The problem is, is that, um, you know, they lost a couple linebackers over the summer and uh, of course they had one uh, kls uh keishon lucer south uh he was injured or i'm sorry <laughs> not injured uh, academically ineligible uh for the first few games of the season as well and so they were kind of lean there and it seemed like um the, the game plan uh, opening the season was they were trying to stop anything coming the middle which they were moderately successful at but then they were spending so much so much time paying attention to that that they would get sucked in on play action play after play after play after play and um you know they made the quarterback for san diego state look like a heisman candidate for goodness sakes uh because they were just getting gashed in the middle of the field you know through via the pass and uh just any intermediate pass that any team wanted to complete against them was just you know no problem whatsoever and that was before they played oklahoma you know and before they played washington state and then those two you know just absolutely super offensive teams just completely took them apart from every aspect now I don't know how fair it would be to talk about the UCLA defense uh, from the perspective of how they did against Washington State and, and Oklahoma, because I think those two teams are going to put up numbers against really most defenses in the country. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, but they were but they but they were spectacularly uh, bad uh, via the pass in those first two games against you know non power five teams. So so certainly not nothing to hold your hat on. Now um, against Washington State, they did uh, dramatically shift kind of their strategy uh, from the first three games, and that is they. Um, 
they started running quite a bit. They, first of all, they blitzed a little more. They'd send, you know, uh, a, a lot more uh, series with um, five or six guys going uh, from different angles, trying to do a lot of zone blitzing. And when they were, when, and when they were doing the zone blitzing, the guys who would drop would drop right in the middle of the field um, on the first series that they had an interception in Washington state. That's because the linebacker, Josh Woods uh, lined up as a defensive end and then, you know, showed rush and then immediately dropped back and he, he caught a pass that came right to him from uh, Gordon. So they're, they're trying to, I think they're, they're mixing the match and their strategy up a little bit. And the one positive I would see from this defense going back to the game in Washington state is, you know, they had six turnovers, turnovers are luck, yeah. you know, you know mm. especially you talk about fumbles and recovering fumbles, but if you could characterize, you know, forced fumbles and interceptions as something that's, you know, kind of more forced by the defense or more kind of like mistakes by the offense, I, I, you know, in my opinion, against Washington State, the Bruins were forcing that action. They were playing fast and they were playing hard. And those fumbles, there really weren't any DTR bounces a ball off his thigh fumbles. They were all plays where they were getting stripped. They were getting hit hard. And Obviously, if you're going to play like that, you're going to give up. You know, you're not always going to play Washington State, but you're still going to give up a lot of points out of that. You know, it's kind of like a boomer bust type of thing. But I think that if they can keep their offense kind of spinning, uh, you know, obviously not at that level, but you know, the way I characterized it when I was talking about it after the game uh, for our audience was if they could get the offense to play about two thirds that well, and they could get the events to play, you know, anywhere near where they were, you know, about the same two thirds as well as they played at the end of the Washington State game. And by the way, that wasn't that great, but just two thirds of that. Uh, you know, forcing some turnovers, not six, but just some, and, um, you know, getting a couple stops here and there, then at the very least, you could say that even though the defense is not good, it's going to be complementary to what the offense is trying to accomplish. And uh, I think that's the best we can hope for them right now. They do have some playmakers, though, uh, you know, Darnie Holmes and, and KLS and uh, a couple guys like that. Yeah, and, and actually, let, let's continue with that because for some of our listeners, you know, uh, some of the more household names on, honestly have left from the Mora years. Um, okay. and, of course, there, you know, there's Chris Barnes, right? Josh Woods talking about the linebackers. You mentioned Lucier South. Um, who, who else should we keep an eye on? I mean, obviously, Darnell Holmes is probably the most recognizable across the Pac-12, just given how highly touted he was coming out of high school. But uh, yeah, but, but but who else for some of our listeners on the defensive side should we keep an eye out for? Yeah, certainly it starts with number one, and that's Darnay Holmes. Uh, he is he's going to be the guy that um, if there's a play going on in the defensive backfield, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a part of it. Um, I already mentioned Antonio Maffi in the middle of, of the defense, and he is, I think, a lot of what they're trying to do uh, starts right with him. Um, Otito Ogabanya is that other uh, defensive uh, that other defensive lineman that I was talking about. Those two guys in the middle are going to be making some, I think, some uh, hopefully making some good plays. I know um, Arizona has some good backs, uh, you know that that they're going to be trying to, to go, go up the middle on them. And, and I think that they'll be stout enough to at least to give them, give them some challenges. Uh, then, uh, you know, as far as on the linebacking core, I mean, you really mentioned the guys are going to be playing are going to be Barnes and uh, hopefully lose yourself. And in those guys, you know, we haven't really seen KLS too much, just a little bit in Washington, against Washington State. But um, the, the biggest problem this, this ruined defense has is they, they have a real hard time creating uh, any sort of pressure, uh, a sustained pressure. Um, and that, that the play that KLS made to finish off Washington State, he forced a strip sack on the last uh, Washington State's last play. That's one of those things where there have just been, there have been not enough of those uh, for the last half decade. I mean, since Dakaris McKinley left, the Bruins have not had a legit, uh, guy rushing the passer uh, with a very small exception of having a, a little bit of Jalen Phillips around uh, for uh, you know when he was not injured and before he transferred to uh, Miami to to run around making music or you know whatever he's dancing or whatever he's doing. <laughs> uh, 
so that that's where the Bruins are certainly lacking. They don't have that guy, you know, that guy that's going to, that's going to cause all that havoc. Um, you know, so they kind of have to manufacture by instead of sending one guy, they got to send like two, three guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you asked me for playmakers on this defense. And unfortunately that's one of the things that they kind of are lacking with the exception of Darnay Holmes, uh, you know, who's just made some spectacular plays during his career. You know what this sounds like listening to you the whole time here is that you're describing Arizona just in yeah. Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, a running well, quarterback who you don't want to put too much on, a run game that can make everything easier, a defense that has some playmakers but can't get a pass rush. And I look at this and say, here both schools are, both programs are in year two with new head coaches, and neither one of them has had the start to their careers in their new places that people were hoping for or expecting. And I know the tide has turned a little bit on Kevin Sumlin in Tucson. He did a little bit to help that with beating Texas Tech a couple of weeks ago. But I'm wondering how big a game or I guess even how big a season this is for Chip Kelly because I'm a Chip Kelly fan. I believe in him. But I wonder when he comes in with that type of uh, reputation and that type of contract and salary and everything and a struggle like they have, like how important is this game specifically, but even then I guess the rest of the season for Chip Kelly and UCLA? Uh, that is a great question, and it has a different answer depending on what perspective you're talking about, right? Um, for me personally, I'll start with me first, and I uh, I cut a new clip. You know, on our show, we play a lot of goofy sound drops and stuff. We're like a dumb morning uh, douchebag radio show, uh, but talking about sports. But uh, I, I just clipped uh, Fox Mulder saying, "I want to believe" uh, last week for for this because that's really where I stand. I want to believe, but I don't know if it's out there. Uh, you know, and and everybody told me they were out there, but I don't know if it's still there. Yeah, you know, I'm right. I'm waiting for Chip Kelly to show me something. Uh, but um, as far as the fan perspective uh, for UCLA and, and the local media perspective is, um, you know, up until that Washington State game, uh, people were getting progressively more and more fed up with Kelly because of just the way that he deals with, uh, you know, anybody who's not inside the program, I, I believe. You, know, you have reporters asking him questions and he most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time he would give them very curt or sarcastic answers and, you know, and, and really kind of uh, you know, talk down to them uh, all, quite a bit. Uh, fans fans were, you know, basically had a, a whiplash from the moment when they fire Mora, hire Chip Kelly. Oh my gosh, UCLA is going to be, you're going to reach unprecedented heights now under this coach who, you know, went to a national title game and show one, uh, except for, you know, Cam, Cam Newton stole a laptop and his knee wasn't down or whatever, whoever knee wasn't down and all that stuff. Uh, you, you know, but Kelly was, was at unprecedented heights uh, and now he's the UCLA coach. And then you start 0-5 and then you start 0-3, and it's like, what the heck is going on here? So Kelly did not do himself any favors with fans and local media uh, to the point where you had people murmuring about he's either going to walk away because he's fed up with this place or UCLA needs to fire him because he's just just an absolute fraud. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's something that I think that if they continue to, to, to struggle this year, um, and I'm not talking about, you know, if they get somewhere between like three and six wins, I think this doesn't take effect. But if they end up, you know, with one or two wins this year, I think that the public outcry might be enough to force the administration to, to do something about it. Because I think at that point, you know, you're probably going to have a lot of uh, problems inside the locker room. There's probably going to be more defections and things like that. Uh, but with all that being said, um, UCLA does not want to fire Chip Kelly. They are all in on Chip Kelly. And they want him to succeed so, so, so desperately to go along with all of the improvements that they have made uh, around the program just in the last couple of years. And it, and it really, really, really would be sad for UCLA fans and anybody associated with this program if they made what was absolutely 
a slam dunk hire uh, a couple years ago in hiring the guy that everybody wanted to hire pretty much, you know, and then it turned out to be as bad as it could possibly be because they did it. They did things right and they got kicked in the ass for it. And um, that would, that would be a shame. But to answer your question, uh, the administration does not want, want to get rid of him at all. They want to give him as much rope as he possibly can take. Um, and fans just kind of living and dying by these horrible, like, I mean, they really couldn't have looked any worse. Uh, and then they have these moments where they really can't look any better. And so this extremes are just giving us whiplash. God, that sounds like Arizona. Everything yeah, you just said. It does. You know, like a poor man's, I guess you say, is Arizona with Kevin Sumlin. Man, everything you said, Jake, reminds me of what people are saying about the Wildcats and Kevin Sumlin. That's, this is crazy. It's like looking in a mirror. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I, I you know I hear you guys as well, and you know I and I see you know the state. It's just so weird the parallels when you talk about uh, someone coming from A and M, and then and then also you know you have a, a great friend of UCLA over there in, in Nolmazoni. Um, you know the last also coordinator that the Bruins have had, you know, before Chip Kelly, where fans, you know, uh, we, you know, we really like Noblesoni, but it was really funny. Uh, when he left, everybody was like, oh, I think it's time because, you know, he only runs like four plays and we need something more complicated. And then all of a sudden they tried to install the West Coast offense and, and completely destroy the program. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been, uh, the, the parallels between UCLA and Arizona right now, they are, they are deep. They run very deep. Uh, within the coaching staff and also on the field, right? Like we've touched oh, yeah. on. So this is honestly, um, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned. I mean, I, I feel okay. <laughs> and Adam and I will do our predictions uh, right, right after this segment. Um, but Jake, as far as your time's concerned, uh, let's go ahead and jump to the prediction. What is your prediction for Saturday night? I'll take uh, Arizona 120, UCLA 111. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't no. shock me. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I think uh, this is definitely going to be a little bit of a shootout. Uh, so I'm I'm going to go uh, a number in the 40s. I think uh, I I you know I really want the the Bruins to uh, come through with a win here, but you know just being on the road personally. I've driven to Tucson a number of times. I believe my record going out to games out there is, uh, you know, I think something in the neighborhood of like one and four. Uh, really? Much more, much more successful in, in uh, Tempe. I like, I like that trip much better as far as my, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, my well-being as a fan. But uh, I've been ambushed out there in the desert one too many times. Uh, and even though I think the Bruins are going to play much better than they did in the first three games, uh, you know, I, I think coming off the bye week for Arizona uh, and all that, just there's a few things working against the Bruins. So I'm going to say uh, Arizona 42 and uh, UCLA 35. And they, they just huh. barely squeak out of cover. I like your stuff. Uh, that's, yeah, that's it's a very uh, it's a very believable outcome there with the score. So I, I would not be surprised if that were to come to fruition. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for joining us today. And actually, just for our listeners too, go ahead and plug your, your Twitter handle, the, the podcast, all that good stuff. Oh, no, I appreciate that. Now, we are uh, the, the What's Bruin Show at gmail.com is the email. If you want to write us some nasty letters uh, at What's Bruin Show on Twitter. And, uh, you know, you can get the you know, we have a, a website as well, just What's Bruin Show dot com. And we're just an independent little, uh, you know, pirate ship out there trying to do some uh, Bruin sports out for you. Awesome. All right, Jake. Well, thanks so much and best of luck on Saturday. Hey, thank you guys so much. And uh, yeah, really a great time talking. To you. I'm glad we finally made it happen. All right, Adam. So good stuff from Jake there. Um, let's just real quick, though, before we jump in and debrief, and there's lots to unpack there. And then, you know, obviously we'll get into our predictions, you know, what we think overall is going to happen. Uh, pretty candid responses there from Jake, but uh, obviously we'll get into our thoughts too. Uh, before we do, let's take a, another break here to hear from a couple more sponsors. 
All right, Adam. So like I said, uh, some stuff to unpack there, right? Um, you know, it sounded like Jake wasn't necessarily too sold on uh, on what happened up in Pullman. I mean, I guess I have to somewhat agree because there was so many fluky things that happened. Um, mm-hmm. You know, overall, what, what what did you like about what Jake said? I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, I personally think, you know, for, for being, you know, a UCLA homer there, he, he was pretty honest and it felt like overall pretty objective about the whole thing. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I tend to agree with most of what he said um do, how, how do you feel i mean do, do you feel worse better no different after hearing from jake <laughs> I, the thing that sticks out to me is just from listening to him how much he's us right now yeah. and how similar ucla and arizona are with their teams this season and where their programs are and that even after a win and if arizona went to pullman and didn't give up 70 points and won a game we'd be over the moon especially if it was this early in the season. He's like, you know what? That's going to be the turnaround thing because that's such a tough place to go and win. And it hasn't happened recently for Arizona and everything, especially the comeback of that variety. And yet he doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel like, oh, you see, turned things around. The problems they had before that game, they still have. And similar, I think a lot of people at Arizona that went over Texas Tech, it's still like, yeah, that's a nice win. Cool. But what does that mean? And that's why it's kind of interesting to hear that perspective because both these teams seem to be at that season crossroads where if Arizona wins this game, now you're three and one and things are looking so much better. Whereas UCLA is trying to build off that win after they're just dreadful starts. So I, I don't feel any different about UCLA because no, you, you've seen them. They, they haven't been good up until the fourth quarter or halfway through the third quarter of that game against Washington state. They were a terrible football team. So it seems like you don't turn the ball over six times against them and give up all these punt returns and kicker and all that, then you might have a pretty good chance to beat them. But at the same time, it's still UCLA. They still have a those recruits that Jim Moore got those top recruiting classes. They still have Chip mm-hmm. Kelly, who I believe in and can recruit. It's one of those teams that shouldn't be really bad been really bad. And the question is, did the Wazoo game, did that awaken something in them? And until you see it from them again, you can't say it did. But at the same time, all it takes maybe is a game in Tucson for them to do it again. And all of a sudden, UCLA is back to being what you thought they could be. So not too much different, but I, I was never super confident in this game. And I'm not now doubting it either. It's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, I think I, for, for one, and I wish I would have asked Jake this because when he said, you know, he, he, he feels better about uh, traveling to Tempe versus Tucson, you know, to, to, <laughs> to see UCLA. And he thought that they were in the five games he's seen down there. UCLA has won one of them. Uh, yeah, I wanted to- when in the world well, that, but when in the world did that happen? I'm trying to think like it has been a, UCLA has dominated us for a while. Now, I know 2017, you know, that last year, Amora, uh, you know, th- that was when Clil Tate was on his run there in October and, you know, everything was looking aces. Yeah. But, you know, prior to that, I mean, Rich Rod never beat UCLA and it's been a long time. And on it, that to me uh, is somewhat of a stigma, I think, right? Because if you think about the seniors on this team, uh, they are used to basically just. I mean, I don't want to say getting pummeled because we, I mean, there were there were years where we got pummeled, probably not with this roster. But, uh, you know, last year, obviously, that was a pretty loss 2017 I mean, they, you know if they're red shirts mm-hmm. if they're, they're red shirts they were on they've lost three of the last four times uh to to, to ucla so um you know i, I think yeah i, I don't want the to nightmares open. kevin someone has against ucla yeah right going back like, to the, by the point last year and then when he was at texas a&m and it was uh jake mentioned that too when he was with a&m in the josh rosen game where a&m was crushing ucla and then let them come back so yeah. you're right there's not good feelings about ucla and playing them, I think, on the Arizona sideline or on the rock. 
And so many odd things happen too. You know, I when, when, one of my coworkers had mentioned this as far as, you know, like when there is a true fumble, I mean, interceptions are one thing, right? If, if it's like a tip, you know, that can be kind of like, ah, crap, like that, that kind of sucks. Uh, interception, it's like, oh man, the quarterback threw it right at the defender. So that's like, you know, that's not necessarily a 50-50 proposition. A fumble mm-hmm. that is on the ground, that is legitimately a, a, a 50-50 proposition. And if I'm counting correctly, there were three of those that went in UCLA you know, to help spark this comeback. Um, it's, you know, they, they, they had the punt return, the kick return, uh, you know, they had like the one, the, 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 the one reception for 94 yards, uh, that it resulted in a score where it just, you know, all of this added up to get them quickly back in the game and erase that 30 point, 32 point deficit. Um, I, I just have a hard time believing, you know, if you take that away, this team is still deeply flawed. Now I know that they have plenty of oh, yeah. talent. They have plenty of talent. I mean, there's no two ways about that. And I think the DTR is a talented guy too. And I think that, you know, that we'll see how that goes. But as far as, as far as overall, you know, I, I guess to answer my own question, how do I feel after speaking to Jake, after what we saw with Washington state, I'm kind of indifferent. I mean, I still kind of have the same sentiment of just like this team is not very good and playing them at home in Tucson. Um, we better win and we'll get to the predictions here shortly, but I, I just, I, I can't really, I have a hard time saying that they've turned a corner because to your point, it's like, you know, let, let's see it a couple times, right? Once is kind of, you know, once is kind of, you know, whatever, twice is a pattern three times, obviously starts developing that pattern more. Um, but it's really hard because, you know, you saw some times last year where they looked pretty good, had some moments and then they would just go get stomped, you know, by like, you know, Oregon or Utah or something. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, overall, Adam. Well, we know what it takes to have a game like that, though. I just look back to the ASU game that ended Arizona's season last year, and yeah, that one team makes an incredible comeback, and you give them all the credit in the world for it. But it took their opponent doing some pretty, pretty ridiculous things that had to go wrong for the comeback to happen. So usually, gets a lot of credit for not quitting in the game. They did everything like people they thought should've. they could, especially. Yeah. Like they did everything they needed to do to win that game. Washington State absolutely collapsing in so many ways. And if kind of like I always say, any one of those plays against ASU and Arizona wins, well, if Washington State does any number of different things in that game, they end up holding on and winning. And it's just another loss for UCLA that maybe one they came back and had a chance in, but one that they lost nonetheless. Right? Like they were down in that game when Washington State, trying to almost run out the clock, fumbled the ball, or after. Um, you know, so it's yeah. it's one of those situations where you give them a lot of credit, but I I don't know how anyone can look at UCLA and say right now that they have turned the corner under Chip Kelly. But I do come from the mindset that I believe in Chip Kelly, so at some point they will turn the corner. I just hope it wasn't last week against Washington State, and I really hope it's not this weekend against Arizona. Adam, let, let, let me ask you, and we can kind of think bigger picture here because there have been some developments within specifically the, the South Division, but just in, in, the, in the conference in general, I think, right? Um, USC losing JT Daniels. Stanford does not look as good as we thought they were going to be. Uh, you know, both of those will be road games for Arizona. Uh, they both look more vulnerable than we would have expected them to be at the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, all of this kind of points to look, six and six. They want to make a bowl game. The fans obviously want that 13th game. How important is, is there room in the schedule? for Arizona to drop this game to UCLA and then still, you know, kind of make up that ground, I guess, to six and six. 
Uh, I don't think so. But then again, I thought like it was this case last season. Arizona then beat Oregon and had a chance. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say. It's so hard because I don't know if any of us know how good Arizona is right now. Now, granted, to me, you win your home games, especially against teams that you're favored to beat. So that's why beating Texas Tech was so much more important to me than winning at Hawaii because you're going to have more home games. You're not going to be traveling across the ocean to play any other times this season. So to me, you win this game, if not because the win would be nice, and yeah, 3-1 and one is great, but it's a game that you're supposed to win. So to like, you lose this game, never mind trying to get to six wins. What does that say about your team? <laughs> does that Because you lose this game, can you, do you really think you could go to Colorado and beat them? Because yeah, you're okay. sure not going to beat Washington at home. And then do you think you're going to go to USC and win that game or even at Stanford? So if you lose this game, then you're looking at the rest of the schedule and saying the only one that you think is a sure win is Oregon State. So to me, the difference is you win this game. Now you're three and one. Yeah, you only need to win three of those games, but you believe you can because, hey, you took care of business. And maybe you could argue that Arizona did turn a corner in their season, did kind of figure things out, especially depending on how it happens. So I don't know if, the, if they lose this game, it's hard to get to six wins. If only because if they lose this game, then what kind of team are they? Certainly not one that looks like he can get to six against the rest of the schedule. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, because after this point, right, the, the, the three remaining home games playing that card of, you know, you got to, you know, you got to feel better about your chances at home, right? So after this game, of course, you know, they'll, they'll play, they host Washington, which Washington scares the bejesus out of me. And I don't want to jump too far ahead because we'll touch they on that. Uh, but Jacob <laughs> Eason is leaps and bounds better than Jake Browning ever was for that offense. And that's really scary to see them firing on all cylinders. And then, of course, you, you, they'll host State, which, good God, or wait, do we go up to Oregon State? Blanking. No, Oregon State's now. a home game. It is a home game. Okay. That's a home game. Okay, so yeah, we have Oregon State at home, and then of course Utah on senior night. Utah, of course, looks a little vulnerable, but I think they just met their match, right? And you're talking about inside out, right? Strong trench players. You USC with the with the higher recruited trench players versus you know Utah, who has good trench players, same styles. Uh, USC just more talented, took care of business against Utah, so they looked a little more vulnerable, I think, than what they'll probably look against us. But nonetheless, you know that's senior night, so you, know, you see how things unfold. But to the, the whole point here is that if you drop this one, you have three more opportunities to win some home games. One of them seems like a surefire; the other two seem like long shots. It would be really nice to take care of business here against the Bruins. Well, and what was say Arizona goes out and wins? We'll say thirty-seven to thirteen, right? Just. Tate is good. The defense is solid. Again, they do to UCLA what other teams are doing to UCLA before Washington State late in that game. Then you start to believe that, hey, maybe Arizona figured things out. Mm -hmm. Because going into the season, we both, I think, predicted Arizona to win, what, seven games? Yes. So if, if they beat UCLA, the only thing that might be different from what we predicted was they lost to Hawaii in a very close game that Arizona didn't play particularly well in, even though the defense got all those turnovers. So if Arizona wins this game, and especially wins it by playing a good football game against what's supposed to be an inferior opponent, then maybe you start to believe that they did kind of get things turned around the way that they needed to, not to be a great team, but to be good enough to win six or seven games. Mm -hmm. Because you beat, you say, well, suddenly Colorado's looking pretty good right now. Yeah. But Arizona has played well against Colorado historically. And then you say, okay, maybe you don't win that game, but now you're three and two. 
if you can steal one of those home games that you're not supposed to win, Washington or Utah, more likely Utah, that's a fourth win. You beat Oregon State, that's a fifth win. And you start to see that picture because Stanford's not a great football team. So no. you think, okay, maybe they can go up there and win. Mm-hmm. You know, so none of the games on the rest of the schedule, other than maybe Washington, and that game being at home gives you a chance. But none of them are the type that you say, there's no way Arizona can win that. Maybe Oregon, they're looking pretty good. So there might be two games on the schedule you say, there's no way Arizona wins that game. The rest of them are seemingly toss-ups, maybe not 50-50, but certainly games where you could say Arizona, if they're a pretty good team, plays well, can win. That really happens if you beat UCLA. If you don't beat UCLA, then you're back to where you were after Hawaii, thinking this team will be lucky to win five games. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that, that checks out to me. All right, Adam. So for the sake of time here, let's go ahead and fast forward. Uh, prediction time. You want to go first? You want me to go first? How you want to handle this? I think you went first the last time, and that I worked did. out pretty well. Yeah. So let, let's do that again if it ain't broke. Well, so the difference is going to be I'm definitely taking Arizona in this game. Now, and, <laughs> and I hate to, you know, and, and I really hate to be so confident because the last time I was really confident was against Hawaii, and we know how that worked out. Different circumstances, though, right? Like, obviously, um, you know, now that oh, yeah. this team's played three games, um, built up some momentum, the defense actually showed me something. I'm not convinced that they'll be able to carry this over or it's even sustainable for that matter. But I think overall, it just gets back to fundamentally Arizona just feels more functional than UCLA right now. You know, you you take away the last third of that game up in Pullman. We're still talking about the same exact UCLA team that we've talked about for the first you know, what is it? The first uh, three and two thirds of the season of those first few games. Um, I, I just I, I I have a hard time envisioning. I guess actually, no, let me take that back because I can't envision a scenario where the defense just reverts back to what we saw at Hawaii and then DTR lights it up because that's not too far fetched. I just have a hard time believing that's what's going to happen. And I, and I especially think, you know, even if JJ Taylor, I mean, I don't want to devalue him at all, discount his value and I'm knocking on wood. I don't know if you can hear that, but uh, if he does not play, I I think if he does not play, I still think, like I said earlier, uh, there's a strong enough stable of back to push us through here and especially you know with Quill Tate I mean honestly to me the biggest thing is how does Quill Tate look you know obviously this gets back to Kevin Sumlin being hush hush it's my understanding he's fine uh the bye week came at a good time and he'll be ready to go Um, but until we see it out there because you know good lord injuries are kind of a thing for him but moving on you know yeah if if he's healthy uh J.J. Taylor I think we can win without we cannot win without without Coyle Tate, the defense, we can even win in like a kind of like what Jake said, 42, 35. Obviously that, that, that is a very reasonable, uh, rational outcome. I would say, I mean, I, I would be kind of surprised if the defense allowed that many points. Um, but you know, something in the realm of like, you know, 38, 21, you know, something like that seems reasonable for this. And I definitely think that Arizona takes care of business pretty handily. Yeah. I look at this game too similar in that, I don't believe that Arizona will do the things that are necessary for UCLA to win this game. At least unless you say it's really a good football team. Now Arizona is better and the Wildcats are at home and really outside of that game uh, against Texas tech, Arizona's done a pretty good job of definitely done a good job of winning the turnover battle. So barring just a complete meltdown from Arizona, I think they are the more talented football team in this game. And I trust Khalil Tate more than I trust DTR to have a big game. Sure. Certainly. So I look in that way, too, where this comes down to Arizona not tripping all over themselves. <laughs> and I think the extra time having that bye week and just 
Kevin Summer, he talked about how Arizona liked that feeling walking off the field against Texas Tech, and now the key is remembering what it took to get there. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe, or if you believe in this coaching staff, and maybe people do a little bit more now than they did not long ago, that they use this week to keep the team focused, to get them healthy, and maybe add a couple new wrinkles too, because now you have a little bit of momentum and players start to buy in a little bit more because, hey, you, you won. Like You listen to the coaches, you do what they're asking, you won a football game, that's pretty good, let's do it again. So, barring that absolute collapse or Arizona just looking so bad, and I don't think that's going to happen. I do think the Wildcats will win this game. I don't want to say coming, I don't think they blow out Washington, or Washington, I don't think they blow out UCLA. I'm staring at the schedule. I don't think they beat, they blow out UCLA. They do win fairly comfortably, maybe similar to what happened against Texas Tech, where it's close for a couple quarters, two, two and a half quarters, and then the Wildcats make a couple plays and pull away. I'm going to say 42 to 27. Okay. So that that's going to be my pick. 42-27, Arizona wins this game, and we're feeling pretty good and saying a week from now that Arizona can go up to Boulder and knock off Colorado, but I say that now. We'll see where we are a week from today. Afternoon kickoff for that, by the way, too. Spoiler alert, in case no, if somebody hasn't seen that. But yeah, that yeah, that's weird. Better. That'll be great. Yeah, how often do we get that? And the answer is not very often. So that'll be that'll be good stuff. Rarely, um, but yeah, I don't want to jump ahead too much. You made it to the Texas Tech game, by the way. How, how was the crowd in that? I mean, I know it wasn't I did. packed, right? But how 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 was the crowd overall? It was good. I admit it. <laughs> It was, it was a good crowd, and the whiteout was solid. And, of course, a game like that that had enough big plays to keep the team in it yeah. and keep the crowd into it, especially in the first half. The Khalil Tate run place was going nuts. Oh. And then the second half, like, it's kind of weird because you watch like, the way the Arizona pulled away, just solid defense and running the ball. It's not exciting football. Yeah. It's, yeah, we're glad that happened. Good run. You picked up five yards. Terrific. Hey, first down. All right, keep going. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the type of get, not the type of drives that you just find yourself going crazy over. And yet, you look at the scoreboard, you're like, "Oh wait, Arizona's up two touchdowns now. Nice. <laughs> you know, this game's this game's over. Great." So the crowd was good. It, it's been a decent crowd. I, I I saw the numbers, and I think it was at Sports Pack Twelve tweeted out like the crowd. I think Arizona's averaged about forty thousand fans through the first two games, which isn't bad, especially considering where it was after week zero, and then the yeah. fact that they were playing NAU in their home opener. Uh-huh. So. I would expect the crowd to be better this week just because it is UCLA and Arizona is on a two-game winning streak and you're starting to feel maybe a little better about them. But those late kickoff times don't help. It's brutal. I'm sure. Like Especially us living in Phoenix, it's a lot tougher to justify driving down there and then either driving back at 11.30 or trying to stay the night in Tucson. And it's just not as it's doable. I know people who do it, and I've done it, but... Those day games would be a lot nicer, which, of course, Colorado it gets to be in Colorado, in Boulder. But, hey, you'll take it. Yeah, 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 we'll take it. All right, everyone. So next week we will recap, of course, UCLA. Uh, or I guess I shouldn't say we will. 12-pack uh, Bryant and Rob will recap UCLA. Uh, Adam and I will be back to discuss Red and Blue. See if there are any any big takeaways, if it's basically everything that we thought it was going to be, what have you. And then, of course, look forward to Colorado. No Thanks. one get hurt. No, <laughs> no one get hurt. Yeah, I know. Poor Ray Smith. I know. I think about that every time now with Ray Smith. But, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. So we will recap uh, the red and blue game. Look forward to Colorado. Thanks so much for listening. And until then, bear down.